Hey, boardroom listeners, before we get started, I want to tell you real quick about RideList. It's an app for your iPhone. RideList gives you and I a fast, free, and easy iPhone app to buy, sell, or swap our gear. Surfboards, snowboards, camera gear, vintage, RideList. It's fast, free, and easy. Download it. I present to you two Santa Barbara surfers that have known each other since childhood. One, an engineer who studied at Penn and worked at Elon Musk's SpaceX. And the other, a USC grad with years in the finance world as an institutional broker and with some work history within the surf industry. These two surfers have a dream, a uniquely American dream, to make a better surfboard through cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, space-age American engineering and technology. You, the listener, probably recognize the American dream as a national ethos, the set of ideals in which freedom includes the opportunity for prosperity and success achieved through hard work. Parker Bornman and Edison Connor of Varial Surf Technologies have that last part, the hard work part, covered. These guys have been grinding. French historian Alexis de Tocqueville stated in his voluminous work, two volumes, Democracy in America, that the American dream is the charm of anticipated success. I think de Tocqueville would suggest that Varial Surf Technologies is in the hands of two very charming individuals. Parker Bornman and Edison Connor of Varial Surf Technologies on the Boardroom Podcast. Let us begin. Um, okay, so Parker and Edison are here, as I mentioned. I guess the, the first thing I want to know, Parker, you guys grew up together, right? Yeah, where, did. where did you grow up? Grew up in Santa Barbara. We first met in uh, kindergarten and we went to school together and our families are friends. We grew up surfing in the summer to Davy Smith surf camp, zoo camp, all kinds of stuff. So we've been friends a long time growing up and uh, surfing all the, the points and beach breaks around Santa Barbara. Okay. So you guys are Santa Barbara guys. And um, what boards were you riding back then? Um, I, I started off riding uh, Bruce Fowler's. He actually let me do trade-ins and hooked me up a little bit. Um, yeah. Bruce Fowler and Clyde Beatty would glass them. And um, rode those boards for a long time. And then college and stuff, always had CIs. And yeah. you know, that was a standard board yeah. up there for sure. Yeah. So I guess you were just surfing Rincon and stuff like that. Yeah, I grew up surfing Hammonds and Rincon, oh, okay. Sandspit. Cool. Um, we'd venture. How well do you know Scott Anderson? Do you know Scott Anderson pretty well? Pretty well. I General mean, he, manager for Channel Islands? Yeah, he's yeah. a customer of ours. Um, grew up more so with all the guys in the factory there. Uh-huh, right. Um, all the carp guys surfing Rincon and doing uh, contests together. And, okay. So. And where exactly in Santa – were you a carp guy or were, where exactly in Santa Barbara did you grow up? I lived in uh, Summerlin for a long time, which is in between Santa Barbara and Carpinteria, mm -hmm. and then lived in Montecito for a while. Mm -hmm. 
Um, went to Santa Barbara High School downtown, so just kind of a yeah. all around Santa Barbara guy. Cool. Now I played golf with this guy that knows you, Bisbee. You know Bisbee, Buzz or Biz? I, I do. Is it Biz? Biz. That guy's a character. Yeah. Every he's time, great. every year, he plays in the same golf tournament that I play in, and he's always like, "Have you talked to what's his name, uh, Parker? Parker? Have you talked to Parker?" And yeah, like, he and my dad are good friends, and, right? Um, yeah, good family. Know his uh, kids pretty well, and, right? What did your dad do? What did your parents do as you grew up? Um, you- my dad was in commercial real estate, mm-hmm. um, and then my mom was a professional artist for a while, and then a stay-at-home mom, and yeah, just kind of did some paintings and showings and. Took care of the kids. What about siblings? How many brothers and sisters? I have one younger sister. Okay. Yep. Cool. It says here, I was reading, I basically cut and copied your, your sort of your about page, you know, and it says here that you guys, you shared sort of a vision to use advanced materials and engineering to create a faster, lighter, and stronger surfboard. So Parker, Edison, at some point you guys are like, these boards are kind of lame, or you're probably more like, and fill me in, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're probably more like, hey, we can try to do this better. Rather than these boards are lame, you're probably like, maybe these boards, we can improve on these. And 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 so tell me how you how the minds melded there, you know? So we originally got to talking about this doing this company in college. Um, I was studying engineering, material science and engineering at the University of Pennsylvania. Is, is, is that an Ivy League school? It is. Wow. So you're Edison is an Ivy League graduate. That's correct. Among other things. <laughs> it's cool because they have the Wharton School. Can you get a little closer. Yeah. They have the Wharton School of Business there as well. Yeah. So there's a lot of influence from business school for entrepreneurial studies and product development. So I actually kind of melded my curriculum around the idea of doing an advanced surfboard technology with Parker because I think we were freshmen when we were floating the idea. And, uh, you know, part- freshman in high school, sorry, freshman in college. Okay. We were friends. You, all where were you the- going to school? At the same? Uh, USC. Okay. But, but you guys are still buddies and you were sort of connecting as freshmen in college. You were still communicating via email or whatever. And however, and you guys kind of, yeah, I think it was on a, uh, spring break or something. We mm-hmm. took a road trip up to Santa Cruz, to go surf and see friends. And, and, uh, that's when the brainchild was born. Okay. So I'm interested in how you chose pen. Is it pen? Do they call it pen? Pen. Correct. Yeah. How you chose Penn and what it was like as a surfer to go, I'm going to Penn. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's some, like to me, that's just so foreign. We're like, I'm going to USC. I'm going to San Diego State. I'm going somewhere where I can surf for God's sakes. Right? Sure. So it kind of goes back four years before that. I went to prep school on the East Coast. Where? Um, I went to Phillips Exeter Academy in New mm-hmm. Hampshire. Okay. Uh, so my dad had gone there and I was interested in it. Ended up there. Uh, it's a boarding school, obviously, and then it's actually really close to the seacoast. So your dad's country. basically like, son, you're going where I went to school. You're no, going to was, prep school, and we're getting you prepared for life, yeah, and you, he, damn it, you're going to an Ivy League school. He was good about it. He didn't uh, force me to, but definitely uh, piqued my interest. So right. he, was, he was supportive, and I think my mom was a little sad to send me away at 14 years old. I but, bet. But, uh, dad was yeah. stoked. Well, yeah, he, he was proud of me. He was proud of me doing for following sure. his footsteps. So, uh, yeah, no, very much. It's very cool. I'm just fascinated by it. I'm always fascinated when surfers can leave the coast. You know, like to me, yeah. that's just sort of well, it was cool takes a lot of balls, really. New Hampshire actually has a pretty rad surf scene. They have Cinnamon Rainbow Surf Shop there and Rye uh, Beach and as well as Hampton. So were you surfing yeah, a little bit when surfed you were? And and were you I, hanging out with the Cinnamon guys and all that? Uh, yeah, we'd go in there and, okay. and, you know, talk to them. And, yeah. Um, but it was – I had a couple um, friends who lived in the area and their dad surfed. And actually, we weren't allowed to go more than, I think, 10 miles away. There was a radius where you could go without telling anybody. 
And it just so happened that you could go down to the coast. And so and this is at the prep school. This is at the prep school. Right. So I go, my friend's dad would come and he's kind of had a mustache and, you know, looked like a surfer. And he was a hippie. Friend, yeah. He, he was, <laughs> I think he was a hippie back in the day. Um, just core New Hampshire surfer. And he'd pick me up with the sun and kind of my teachers would look at me like, where are you going? It's in, it's in the Exeter area. I'm going surfing. <laughs> this hippie cat guy would drive onto <laughs> yeah. campus and pick this and pick up Edison, and the teachers are like, "Holy, exactly. this guy's good. <laughs> this guy has a bag in his van or something." It's a good loophole. <laughs> well, that's so, pretty cool. So yeah. So and then when I went to Penn to answer your initial yeah. question, um, it was just a lot of people from Exeter went to Ivy League schools, and mm-hmm. it was just it was a cool school, and it's not too far from the coast in New Jersey, so. So the important fun. thing, I guess, what I'm getting at and what I'm getting from you is that you did keep your your fingers and your toes sort of plugged into the surf scene in some regard. I tried to. And, of course, every time I came back home, I'd go surfing with my buddies. And yeah, definitely it was part of what motivated me you know, to get through school and be able to come back, move back to California and start a surfboard technology company. It's like, whoa, you know, I'm stuck here in yeah. the winter in New Hampshire and New Jersey. And, you know, we're lucky to get good waves and it's cold, but so you and Parker are like, Hey, let's, let's do this thing. Like we're, we're, we're in college. What the hell are we going to do? You know, I don't yeah. want, you know, I'm sure you're like, shit, I don't want to be in a cubicle, man. Yeah, exactly. Like we all are right. We all have cubicle anxiety. So how did that go down? The, the melding of the minds to, to sort of do this and, and what led you to foam? Obviously your mechanical engineering mm-hmm. background probably. So this is to put this in context, this was 2002, I believe we started talking about. So it was before Gordon Clark, Right. Shut down Clark Foam, uh, so it wasn't really. So it's three years before the so-called Black Monday in two thousand and five. Exactly. So there weren't a lot of people talking about alternative construction and materials, uh, but I think it came rooted from the fact that just our own frustrations with surfboards and the way they were built. I mean, obviously the shapes had progressed so much, and you know, Merrick, especially in our area, is making amazing boards. But just the construction, the materials, they ding easily and. Parker especially broke a ton of boards growing up. And so I, I took a course when I was a freshman at Penn. It was an introductory course to material science, but in the context of a bicycle. So it went through each component of bicycles, the frame, the tires, and talked about different materials and really saw how advanced the materials were, especially carbon fiber and you know, the rubber polymers that they're So making. that's cool. So this class was basically like, hey, let's reinvent the bike. Like, look what's available to us. Yeah, Why exactly. are they doing just, it wrong? Are there some places where we can do it better? Well, it was more look at all the materials technology that goes into a bike. Was you it just, because bikes were kind of on the cutting edge? The bike manufacturers were on the cutting edge of these new so. materials? I think yeah. that's definitely one of the reasons. Yeah. Um, and it just, for freshmen who aren't sure what they're going to do. If it's you a no-brainer class. That's yeah, like, let's take cool. the bike class. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> exactly. takes that class. Hopefully they can have a surfboard class soon. But. You're the you guys are the professors. <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty rad. So, anyways, that yeah. was kind of the the genesis of the idea, and I started talking to Parker about it, and we were just thinking, like, you know, what what if you could make a much better surfboard by, by taking technologies from aerospace and other industries and bringing them to surfboards? And we kind of debated. I remember the the conversation. We we're debating a bit at the time whether or not that would even be core to make a really high-performance, strong surfboard. Or if these materials that have been around since the late 1940s were so ingrained in surfboard construction that that's the only core way you could ever make you a You mean surfboard. the base consumer wouldn't accept your... Not even thinking just economically, but just is that a cool thing to do or would we be kind of selling out by making boards a lot better? Right. That's fascinating. Um, 
you already were concerned with sort of the image, the image that it was going to convey. Like, like it's like you guys would almost be too techy or too nerdy, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. Especially you. <laughs> well, I am. That's why Parker does. Most I know. Of the I'm just teasing you. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's cool. No, I embrace it. Well, in like Santa Barbara, for example, you needed a white, all white board and all white wetsuit. Anything flashy or black different? Wetsuit. Yeah, yeah, sorry, all black wetsuit yeah. and all white board. Anything flashy or different? You were kind of an outsider, so yeah. we were kind of ingrained in that culture and that perspective. So if we had a aluminum honeycomb surfboard, yeah, that was different. You know, would we be kooks or yeah? Would it ride so well and people would embrace it? And That's fascinating, right? Because it kind of – philosophical question. <laughs> it speaks to why, first of all, surfers are extremely conservative. Like we – people think we're like this progressive lot. but And maybe we are on sort of bigger sort of eco-political ideas or whatever, geopolitical ideas. But when it comes right down to it, we're super conservative. We resist change. It's This is the way it is and that's the way it's going to be. And, and that's my gut feeling is that – Surfers are sort of myopic a little bit. What happened after you're like, should we even do this? Can we even do this? Like, how did then we germinate this thing and, and get it going? Yeah, so it kind of evolved and we thought about it more and thought, no, yeah, that it's needed. It, a better surfboard construction and technology is needed. And this this will be a cool thing if we do it. And so we kept thinking about it. And then you know, we graduate in 2005 and we said, okay, let's let's actually do this. I did my senior project around the first technology we developed, which was an aluminum honeycomb core, which is just full blown, you know, way outside the just box. so advanced, taking the most advanced core construction and uh, composite skin construction and putting that together. And it, it took us about, well, let's see, it was 2009 before we really had a viable prototype of that. So the whole idea originally was not just a foam core, but the entire surfboard. It was just Which included the core exactly. and this let's honeycomb. Look at, let's look at a surfboard as a composite sandwich structure, which it is, which means it has a core that carries the compressive and shear loads and then skins that carry the bending loads. And so if we just boil it down like that, let's use basic sandwich structure methodology. Okay, what's the best core material that's used in aerospace? And then what, is, what are the best skins? And actually in that process of looking at what skins would be the best, we actually came to the conclusion that normal e-glass fiberglass is the best glass reinforcement to use. And it's because you get the best ratio of strength to flex of any material. And is that just normal fiberglass that I would get on my standard board today? Exactly. Right. And so you said around 2005 is when you sort of started, okay, let's do this. And, and did the Clark foam thing have something to do with that? The, that black Monday where Clark, who for listeners who don't know, and many of you do, Clark basically had a monopoly on the foam core of the surfboard, and um, then they just, you know, abruptly shut their doors, and it kind of spooked. It did spook the entire surfboard manufacturing industry, but it also created a vacuum, and this sort of was like the perfect storm. It, like, coincided with you guys graduating college and going, what are we going to do? It definitely energized us. I mean, we were into the whole process of prototyping at that point. We had... I think made one crude prototype and we we're trying to work on some of the bugs. We partnered up with some aerospace manufacturers uh, in San Clemente, actually, that made race car parts. So mm. we we're prototyping with them. And then this happened and it was like, oh, my gosh, this is a huge opportunity. And uh, it was a little frustrating at the same time because our technology wasn't quite there yet. So oh. it felt like it was just kind of out of reach to right. be able to take advantage of that. But, it but was did. it like a, was it like to Parker call you and go, you won't believe what just happened? <laughs> yeah. 
Was it kind of like that? Because it seems like that would be a pretty much of a god. Yeah, I mean, I, at that time, I was interning at Quicksilver in the marketing department. Uh-huh. And in Huntington? In Huntington, uh-huh. um, under Greg Macias. Uh-huh. And the facts came across all those guys' desks yeah. and got circulated. You know, so I had to wait my turn to read it, but I finally <laughs> got a hold of it. And Edison had heard the news, too, and I had read the facts. So um, we got we were pretty froth mode at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially seeing the early prototype, it was really promising, too. So we were excited. And this early prototype is that multifaceted, like a foam core with this honeycomb. But anyway, I don't want to put words into your mouth, so... That first prototype looked like what you were mentioning it. Just, I just kind of want to regroup the conversation. It, it was Sorry, actually I'm going it was, in a bunch of different no, no problem. So just, just to uh, clarify that the aluminum honeycomb has no foam in it. So it is just it's aluminum foil, a high strength aluminum foil. Right. You know, basically as thick as aluminum foil in your kitchen. Right. And then it's glued together in this crazy way, and it's expanded, and it looks like a bee's honeycomb, but thin metal. Okay, so it's honeycomb, but it's thin aluminum. Yeah, so you can the, so the cells go from the deck to the hull, right? But they're completely like see through, so you could hold it up to the light and see your hand behind it. That must have been cool looking. It was it was really cool. Right? Yeah. But the first prototype was really ugly. <laughs> it oh, was yeah. actually nicknamed the Haddock. Um, the person who owned the aerospace shop we were working at, he was a British guy, and uh, when we made the first machine core, we had to put this stuff in the cells to be able to machine it. And it came back and it was soaking in this gross stuff and it smelled like a fish and kind of looked like a filleted fish. And so he called it the haddock. So <laughs> it was, it was a long process of getting a good quality prototype. Yeah. So then where did we go? Where did we go? How did we get from there to sort of where we're at now, which, well, not now, but like say when, when you guys kind of approached the marketplace and went, Hey, we've got foam blanks. This is who we are. We're very – I mean, there's, there was a lot that went down between those two times, right? Definitely. And there's, there's kind of an interesting story here about how the honeycomb part of our history wraps up when we transition to varial foam. First of all, the, the honeycomb board needed an edge closeout around it, which is something on the outside perimeter because honeycomb is incredibly strong through the direction of the cells. But if you push on it from the side, it's just soft. So you need something there around the edge to give it strength. So we adapted this advanced aerospace foam, which is varial foam, to surfboards for that application first. Uh, and then we actually, you know. So this wrapped around the rails? This, it wraps this... around the rails. So if you look at our honeycomb board prototypes, there's varial foam. There's a one-inch varial foam band all the mm-hmm. way okay. around the perimeter. Uh, but we actually got the proof of concept. So this honeycomb project was not wasted effort because we got the proof of concept that a high modulus core was very high performance and would work in surface. What's high modulus mean? So high mean? modulus is a techie term to say rigid core, particularly stiff. stiff, but particularly it's, it's a direction that it's stiff in. Uh-huh. So it's not like if you hold this thing, you can't bend it. It'll bend in half. Right. It's stiff through the direction of the core and in shear, which means its ability to kind of slide over itself like a deck of cards. So a high modulus core is what makes composite structures strong. And that was kind of the guiding engineering principle from the beginning. And honeycomb has the highest modulus of any core material. That's why it's used so ubiquitously in aerospace, helicopter rotor blade cores. By bees. Spacecraft parts. Right? And I mean, bees, yeah. I think that's kind of a storage thing, but it's, it's a really – Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I actually asked that question to yeah. one of the engineers at one of these honeycomb companies. But right. anyways, that's – 
the, so what was cool is that we got proof of concept because we were able through Parker's connections at Quicksilver, um, we were able to link up with Kelly Slater, who tried one of those honeycomb boards. Wow. It wasn't his shape at all because the original prototype shape was just uh, – we actually worked with Surf Prescription's doc. Mm-hmm. He kind of uh, gave us the time of day and shaped a Pro 2 model, 6'1", 18 and a half, 2 and a quarter. How does he shape – how do you shape the honeycomb? So it's, Sorry, he shaped a normal surfboard oh. and then we scanned it. Oh, I see. Yeah, and we yeah. used that to produce CAD okay. data. Yeah, and how big that. was it again? 6'1", 18 and a half, 2 and a quarter. And it had the kind of pointy small. nose, circa 2004. Okay. So uh, well, Kelly well, could was, ride that, though. Kelly could ride something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was, it was meant to be for professional surfers. We wanted right. something that a pro could jump on right. and validate the technology. So it wasn't at all Kelly's shape, and there was a funny kind of bump in the rocker because we didn't use normal surfboard software to do it. And so, uh, But he was pretty intrigued when he got his hands on it, and we talked to him about it. Um, and he didn't think it was going to ride well at all. We also gave was him – Was it heavy? No, it was super, super light. Hot. Super light. Um, I think it was just over four pounds. Um, and so he got in the water at Rincon and actually had a really positive experience on it. And uh, we started to go down the road with CI to try and uh, do something with that, but just couldn't make the business side of it work. So mm-hmm. at that point, we kind of said, all right, well, this is going to be a very expensive technology, and mostly because to make a different shape would be very expensive. So it kind of relied on tooling. How are you capitalizing this first round of experiments? It was friends and family, yeah. mostly. Um, it was, are they still your friends and family? Yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> they, uh, yeah. My, luckily, my family loves me a lot. Okay, good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, it was scraping things together. And Parker yeah. and I both worked jobs, uh, part-time jobs in the early days. <clears throat> I was doing... Uh, part-time engineering consulting, and and Parker was working various gigs, and then uh, Parker got a job in finance, and so we basically had jobs along the way. I worked mm-hmm. at SpaceX as a uh, composites manufacturing engineer for a while, uh, but we basically just did everything we could to to string it along and make it work. So th- th- was that Elon Musk's thing, SpaceX? SpaceX, correct. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I it think. Was, it was a rad experience. It was an intense experience. Was he an intense guy? Did you did you commingle oh, with him? We actually we made him a, a board when I left. Oh um, really? Kite board. I don't think he's ridden it, but yeah, he's uh, he's he's. he's an interesting I have guy. tremendous respect for Elon. He's yeah. the things he's he's done are incredible, and yeah, he was it was great to be able to work at his company. Cool. You were so you're uh, at SpaceX, and you're you now have a cubicle job. It sounds like finance where. Yeah, I was working at an investment bank called Roth Capital Partners in Newport Beach, and I was an open trading floor, so I didn't have a cubicle, but it was a desk job. Yeah, early early hours, is market hours, working okay. Wall Street. Okay, and uh, you were kind of like a runner guy or something. Or um, I, I was know. in institutional sales, so I was basically a stockbroker to hedge funds right. and mutual funds. I um, understand. Yeah, in my territory. does that stuff still excite you, or is that something that yeah that is exciting to you? The, con- the- some of finance, some, some of it. Yeah. Um, you know, the trading side. I love Wall Street and yeah. the markets. Um, I still trade yeah. myself. Um, I learned a ton about raising capital and large companies, and right. you know how how the economy works on that side. Yeah. Um, so it was a full time job for six years. Edison and I traded off um, while I was you know doing the finance job. Edison was you know, curating varial and running that and, you know, moving things forward and I'd help on weekends. Yeah. And then his funds ran out. So I quit the finance job and Edison 
went to SpaceX at that point. And so I took over making sure Varial was staying afloat and progressing. Edison would come help our development and R and D on the weekends and nights. So, and, and based on the, um, the, I look, Hey, look, we need something on the rails here. Let's use this varial, this foam, which eventually became varial, which you grabbed from where, like, where did you get the foam to put on the rails to hold the honeycomb in? Where did, cause that's sort of like where you, cause at some point you went, Hey, screw the honeycomb. Let's just focus on the foam. Right. Exactly. So, just through my engineering studies and through our partnerships with aerospace manufacturers, we knew what was used in aerospace. And really, there's only one formula of foam that's used as a structural core material in aerospace. And that's the formula that we adapted into varial foam. You never see... Is that a patent? Did you have to like kind of take the foam and then like re- reverse engineer it and then pull a couple molecules out to make it your own or something? Or is this... No, these questions it, too. Yeah, it kind of gets into some of the details, but <laughs> we were able to to develop a formula that was very specific to surfboards. So it had to have the right cell structure. It had to be as white as possible. It had to be shapeable, the right density, all these things to make it ideal. Right. Also, you know, have a rocker shape to the blank so that you could get normal surfboard shapes out of it. Yeah. Uh, so all these things required, you know, but the foam that you sort of first grabbed that you're like, this is the stuff we're going to need to need to make some changes to it. So it can fit the surf market. But that foam was foam that was in SpaceX material, I'm assuming, or like whatever they were making it, but it, obviously it wasn't like consumer end thing. They just had this foam that they put in the, to the rocket or whatever they were building. And it was probably covered with paint or whatever. Like they weren't going, Hey, it's gotta be white. You know, like we like, you know, for the consumer market. Yeah, that was one of the aha moments, knowing this foam and seeing it in use and thinking, wow, this is nice and white and small cell structure and it's extremely strong. You're just feeling it. Uh, you can feel how hard and strong it is. And the board still flexes, um, but it, it's just you can just pick it up and immediately know, wow, this is impressive stuff. So, so again, you went from – so what was the moment where you're like, hey, we better just do foam? Well, I think like, that kind of comes come? back to that discussion of when Kelly tried it and he had a positive experience and was interested in getting his own shape in it. But it's just incredibly expensive and time-consuming to make a new shape because these materials are, are so difficult to put together that you needed certain tooling uh, that just required a capital investment, and et cetera, et cetera. So we, we shot for just the highest performance, full-blown aerospace tech. But in doing so kind of overshot the market. Well, yeah. Gave up on the fully customizable shape. That's easy to adapt to, you know, whatever surfboard. And so we knew that that was something that was going to have to be a part of it for this to be a commercial success. But we had the validation that a high modulus core, that rigid in the right ways core was really worked well uh, because we surfed the honeycomb boards and then having Kelly ride it and have a positive experience. So we thought, okay, well this foam, that we're adapting into varial foam. This chemistry is by far the most, by 7X higher modulus than any other type of foam. Like, for instance, polyurethane, polystyrene foams, they're just, you only ever see those types of foams in aerospace as insulation materials, never as structural core materials. Yeah, so I think it's worth mentioning why you want a really rigid core. And this kind of like gets into the... So high modulus is just rigid core. It's rigid, exactly. Rigid in particular in the right ways. Right. And so compression and shear. And that compression is like, you know, pushing down on the core. Right. That's preventing your foot from going through the board. That's compression strength. And then the shear strength is is like 
the core wanting to slide over itself. Imagine the core like a deck of cards on edge. Cards have no shear resistance, no shear stiffness. And so this core and, you know, all these high-performance aerospace cores have very high shear rigidity. So those two factors, those two modulus components, are what determine the performance capabilities okay. of core okay. because they prevent the skins from buckling into it. I see. And so what we're able to do, and Parker can translate this into to non- You did pretty good. I, 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 my little minuscule brain kind of understood okay. that. But the basic, the basic net, net result is that we're able to use all the strength of fiberglass. So whereas normal fiberglass on surfboards doesn't get to half its actual strength, it just buckles before that. Because surfboard foam cores, traditional ones, are so soft that they can't support the skins in compression. Like think about if you peel the fiberglass skin off a surfboard and you pull on it, you're not going to break it and pull it. But if you push on it, it's just floppy. It's going to bend on itself. So the yeah. core is there. One of the main purposes is to prevent that from happening on the compression side of the structure. So by having a high modulus core there, it supports the skin so well that you get all the strength of the fiberglass. Right. So we're able to put the same amount of glass on a varial foam core and get 42% more strength than putting that same amount of glass on a polyurethane core. And I guess the other side of that is you can go with less glass if you want and, and get just the same amount of strength as the normal, as twice exactly. the glass job. And that gets into the flex design because glass determines the flex of the board. But the point is you're starting on a foundation that's super consistent and strong. So you can design in these other attributes exactly as you'd like them. There's other honeycomb design surfboards. Um, did you guys look at any of those? I, I have one in my side yard right now, like a cardboard. I think the cardboard honeycomb is a little more recent. I know there are cardboard honeycombs that are used, for instance, in uh, desks uh, yeah. from Ikea that they, when yeah. it sounds hollow. Yeah. Um, so I know that they've made some of that. The cell size is pretty big. So you have yeah. to have a real small cell size. Oh, I see. Otherwise, it just buckles into the cells. Um, Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. But uh, I know that there were some companies like Hydroepic, and there are a few others way back when um, that were using aluminum honeycomb just in the very skin as like a sandwich structure, but the board was hollow. 
Hmm. What we did is we fully machined both sides of it. So it was like yeah. full-blown tech. Gnarly labor-intensive It was stuff. It was tricky. Well, you've basically explained what makes varial foam different than polyurethane foam or EPS or the extruded polystyrene and the XTR foam. And it's these moduluses that are higher, right? Like the Correct. shear and the compression. Yep. What about – how does it compare – when, now, I've seen the stuff. I've obviously seen the stuff. I'm very intrigued by it. And um, I was talking to Parker a couple of years ago somewhere, and to me, it like it really felt like balsa. You know, like it was really close to the dense – like it felt like really um, like light balsa wood of a foam bl- – a balsa blank. So my question is, how does it hand shape? Like do, do, do shapers have to get a new bit for their planer or, or can they put a – you know, a hand plane through it, does it sand? How does it compare to these other foams in regards to, sh- you know, the shaping of the board? Yeah, it uh, it shapes beautifully. Um, we've had a ton of customers and shapers tell us it's the best foam they've ever shaped. Um, it You don't need any new tools. You can use your screens, microplaners, planers. Our foam doesn't melt um, under high temp, so you can crank up the speed. You can run nose to tail, uh, and plane a band out and it doesn't tear. It leaves a really crisp line. I've been challenged by a few shapers. I was in Australia and Neil purchase junior got a blank and he's like, all right, you know, I've seen strenuous blanks and you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to, you know, put this to the test. So he turned his planer on and he was running nose to tail, like sprinting and stopped and looked at the band lines and they were crisp and clean, no tearing, and then, you know, he thought, well, the foam's so hard, it's going to be difficult to, you know, shape out the bands. And it sands and, and pulls screens super easily. So mm. it's kind of counterintuitive because the foam is really hard. It's that yeah. high modulus, really rigid foam, but it shapes out so nice and smooth. So for um, whatever reason, it's just, it's kind of the best of both worlds. Like for whatever reason, when you just, you know, put your hand on it with a screen, it just kind of flies away, nice and buttery. I mean, as you know, shapers love the polyurethane because it's just so buttery, and they can like they can just micro tune the crap out of the board. Mm-hmm. EPS beads up a little bit more difficult to get real fine tuned, but they do a great job with it. And I think the extruded is um, a little bit more difficult than the other two, but um, so that's cool. So the varial has this ability to to sort of like high volume crank the crap out of it with your planer, but also step back and go, oh, I just want to tweak a 32nd of an inch off of the wing or whatever, and it and it pulls off real nice. Yeah, because of the strength, I mean, you can micro-tune a sharp edge to be really, really sharp. Um, you can get down there and buff it out and really pull a screen. Um, you don't have to worry about, like, one swipe going too far. You know, PU, foam, you kind of get to that point where ah, I'd like to hit it once more, but I shouldn't. Right. Um, yeah. But you can really fine tune this down. The The cell size is so tight and the actual cell structure is really geometric and uniform. Hmm. Um, so you have a consistent base to build a board off of. You don't have to worry about um, there being, you know, marks or pore lines or holes in the blank. So you can really get down and, and experience a consistent uh, product when you're shaping it. So I guess the big question is, why isn't every board made out of varial foam? 
Yeah, it's a good question. Um, well, I, I think we know the answer a little bit, right? Um, one of them I sort of mentioned already is that surfers and especially surfboard shapers are pretty conservative. They're not – some of them are really open-minded and willing to change. But even if they're willing to change, the glass house maybe is kind of maybe a little bit off and doesn't really want to make changes. So what are your thoughts on why we haven't seen a wholesale conversion? Yeah, I think there's there's a few reasons. One we talked on is kind of the culture of, you know, surfers and surfboard manufacturing are a little bit resistant to change or anything new. Although you can use your same tools and glass it the same way and the board comes out really high quality. I think a, a the biggest challenge we've faced is price points. You know, we're we're adapting rocket material to surfboards. And we're using cutting-edge manufacturing processes to make this foam. Um, it has a lot of really expensive uh, materials in it. And to adapt that down to a consumer good, you know, sports equipment, is pretty tough challenge. Um, we've done our best, but the price point is still high. But it's, it's a technology. It's, it's something that's new and evolving and pushing the limits, in my opinion. Um, the price point is tough for us. You know, you can buy a blank 50 or 60 bucks and go shape that, or you can buy a Veral foam blank, which is 200 bucks. And that's a big jump for people, yeah. especially shapers yeah. working on tight margins. Um, yeah. the consumer end hasn't been as resistant to it. You know, there's guys that see the value and the performance and the longevity of the boards, you know, lasting and building out quivers. Yeah. Um, but it, it's a tough wholesale market to get in for right. sure. That's fascinating. So that tells me then, because my next question was, can we get to the tipping point by the shapers telling the consumers about it? Or do we get to the tipping point by the consumers telling the shapers that that's what they want? And it seems like it's the latter. It seems like the consumers need to go, hey, here's what I want. I want a varial foam core in my board. Is that your sense from a marketing standpoint that you want to push it that way rather than the other way? Yeah. I mean, our approach to marketing this and launching um, our brand has been a push-pull tactic. We've really had to go out and push this to the shaper and educate them so they can offer it to the customer and provide them with you know, better materials and better tools to make you know, improve their shapes and boards. And we've also had to go out and pull it through the channels educate the consumer tell them to go to the retailer or their shaper and talk about it and order it. It's just, it's so new. Um, we've really had to attack it from both ways, which is a big ask, but you know, we've been doing it very virally and, you know, yeah. kind of found some great pros to work with and some great shapers who've embraced it. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of grown. Is there familiar. any way to get into cost by, um, getting cheaper source materials on, on the, the back end, or have you guys gone as you've scoured every resource to get a cheaper source material to make the foam? I mean, or is it, you just got to buy in such high volume to get that discount. I don't know. Yeah. Volume definitely helps. I mean, if, if we are taking over the market in the world, there might be some room to bring the price down, but we've scoured, you know, the back channels to reduce everything we could about manufacturing this foam. Yeah. And, and just you, knowing how price sensitive this market is, you yeah. know, I'm, I, first of all, I think that this is a prime market right now. Like I think people are finally 13 years later or whatever. And I, I actually give a lot of credit to Firewire for sort of like 
I think I think the barrier to the guy that wants the look, I just want a six two PU clear. I feel like that's kind of going away. Guys are going, you know what? I want EPS. I want it vacuum bagged and I want the carbon flex thing, no stringer. I want the all the bells and whistles. And I interviewed um Javier and he, you know, they they can if you go full pop on all the bells and whistles, super high end XTR board from from them, like if you order a Channel Islands and you have Javier's people glass it, it's nine fifty, maybe a thousand bucks, even getting up to eleven hundred bucks. And I think there's guys that are that have the money and are willing to buy a great product because this is a much better product than a six two clear PU board. So I think that that's good news for you guys. That I think that the market is starting to accept that hey, this is like it's kind of like mountain bikes. Like yeah, you can go to Walmart and get one, or you can buy a sick one, and the sick ones cost five grand. And the one at Walmart cost 800 And if you're into mountain biking, you're buying the killer one. You know what I mean? So I, I sense that – and it's just an internal thing. I don't have anything to gauge it on. But I feel like it's a good time for you guys. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I think the consumer is ready. Um, I think there's a lot of factors that played into it to change that mindset and that culture. Um, Clark Foam shutting down enabled shapers to be a lot more open to materials without risk of you know, not being able to get materials. Um, there's a lot of new constructions out there, new uses of carbon and, and EPS and epoxy. So the consumer is now getting more comfortable with different constructions and different layups. They're getting more educated about it too. And they're seeing what doesn't work, what's a marketing gimmick and what does work. Um, I think it started with surf tech as well to open up people's eyes to new construction and, um, firewires done a good job of that as well. So we're playing that kind of same price realm of 800 to a thousand dollars for all the bells and whistles. And, you know, it comes down to performance. It's really got to perform to verify, uh, that price point. Um, if I want to buy a blank and I'm just Joe blow and I, I know a couple of guys that make me boards, how do I do it? Can I do that off your site? Can I just go buy a blank and you guys ship it to me or something like that? Yeah. And that, that's been a challenge. You know, what's easy for shapers to get their hands on and offer their consumer. And we've done a really good job of, bringing our vans down to San Diego and Orange County once a week to be able to drop off blanks. You can call Varial, Edison and I pick up the phone. Uh, you can email us. All the information's on our website. There's no minimums. We can we sell the backyard guys. We'll sell, if you want to board, Scott, and take it to your shaper, we'll make that happen. We'll facilitate it. You just give us the word. Or if a shaper has a customer, they call us up like, hey, I've never ordered from you guys. What do I do? And we make it super easy. So we understand you know, some of the logistic challenges to, to get blanks out there, but we're working hard to, to make that easy and we're available to answer questions. And Hey, just a quick break in the interview here to tell you about RideList, the RideList app. It's free to download, free to use. It's available for iPhone. I'm looking through the app right now and I'm seeing some pretty cool boards. There's a uh, Channel Islands Biscuit Bonzer. A 510 Chili Churro, a 511 Channel Islands Flyer. Here's a Christensen 510. Here's a Chili Perry Perry model, a CI Rocket Wide, an MR Lost collaboration, a bunch of stuff. There's camera gear here. I see a Nikon D500 with a 35 millimeter 1.8 lens. A bunch of stuff on ride list. This is a peer-to-peer -peer marketplace on your phone. Snow gear, surf gear, vintage gear, collectibles, 
camera gear. It's quick and it's easy to use. Do yourself a favor and download the RideList app to your iPhone. And you can buy, sell, or swap with people like us, riders. It's a rider's marketplace. Thanks a lot. And back to the interview. What about, um, you know, there's definitely a push for an eco surfboard, I guess is the term. Um, is, is your foam recyclable? Like an EPS blank is recyclable, I, I understand. Uh, short answer is no. Our foam is not recyclable. Yeah. It's still a plastic-based right. chemistry. Right. Long answer is your board lasts longer, so you don't have Edison's to get it. got some good thoughts okay. on this one. Let's yeah, hear I, I your greenwashing. <laughs> I want to hear all about No, I mean, that's, that's exactly what I have a pretty strong opinion of, and, and Parker shares it. In my opinion, no surfboards are eco-friendly. I thought the, there was mushroom-grown blanks that were being experimented with a few years ago. I mean, yeah. that kind of thing is cool, but... Uh, as far as boards that work, performance boards that hold up, in my opinion, this whole eco thing is is a lot of marketing. I think that there are very serious environmental challenges that our generation is facing. I mean, if you look at our winters, Parker and I, when we grew up in Santa Barbara, like the winters were firing from you know October all the way through March, and now it's like we might have a week or two where the high pressure breaks down. And we got good west swells and northwest swells. So, I mean, global warming, the, the trash pile in the middle of the Pacific, these are real issues. And I just feel like everybody needs to be doing their part to reduce waste and reduce their energy footprint and, you know, to uh, you know recycle what they can. But stop trying to sell surfboards by talking about every little thing you're doing that's eco. You, I think... Every business owner has an obligation as a person who has an industrial operation to do the best they can. I mean, there are things that are environmentally friendly about what we do. Our boards last for so long. I mean, Parker's broken one. I've never broken a board. And, you know, the longevity, the fact that they don't lose their pop and don't go to a landfill. I mean, I think that's has a big environmental upside. And um, also with our uh, glassing process, which we can get into, we have uh, basically no VOCs from when we use polyester resin, and it's a vacuum bag process. And you know, there are VOCs in the hot coating. All our epoxy is is the um, is uh, <clears throat> the super sap that has thirty percent bio content party. So there's things that we do, but we don't talk about them because I just Parker and I don't believe in pumping that up. You know, like yeah. when you go to a hotel and oh, you know, leave your hotel on the the hook because it's gonna be better for the environment. It's like well, you also don't want to wash them, so. But I do, on the other hand, really appreciate the concept of surfers are sort of at the cutting – we're at the front lines of being environmentally aware, which all three of us are because we're in the ocean. You know, like we're just sort of it. You know, like, like you know, us climbers who are you – know, guys that are in nature, we're, we're sort of at the cutting edge of, of this push to kind of change our consciousness. And if we can do that a little bit with surfboards – you know, every little bit helps, you know, and it sounds like with the super sap, you guys are kind of doing it, but without kind of like raising the flag and throwing your green flag in the air and going, look at me. Definitely. Every little bit helps. And I, I don't want to discredit that. There's a lot of cool things that are happening. I think it's cool that us blanks, put solar cells on their roof and hopefully one day we'll, we'll have the capital to do the same. And there, there's definitely good things that are happening, but I think for some people, like, let me Do ask you this. sense that there's like guilt being thrown down on people that aren't waving the flag and saying that I'm an eco surfboard. I don't know. Maybe that's the impression that's trying to be created, but I just question whether or not that's how much that's resonating with the consumer. 
um, you know, the eco certification and this and that. I, I think to some people it is, but I think the industry is in a way kind of kind of convincing themselves that it's a little it's resonating a little harder with the market than it yeah. actually is. I think people understand that they don't want their boards to break down yeah. and they get that they shouldn't go into a landfill. I mean, you know, these shapers that are making 10, 12 boards for each pro for each contest and like, you know, like that, how sustainable is that? So great. You use, a, you know, a styrofoam that has 30, 25% recycled content, but that's not, it's not an eco-friendly product. You can't make a million of them and the world's going to be a better place. It's not. Yeah. You're making plastic products. So I, I don't know if somebody wants to criticize us for not waving the flag and, you know, and trying to convince people our boards are environmentally friendly because they last longer and, you know, we have these benefits in our process, but some, some are worse. Yeah. We generate a ton of waste. I mean, and you mean surfers in general? No, sorry. We vary. Yeah. Like, I mean, our, the way our foam is made, we can't make it quite as close tolerance. So mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of waste, Yeah. Um, but you know, it lasts for so much longer. So yeah. we have, you know, I've gotten maybe five boards over the last two or three years. Whereas if I was riding just commodity polyurethane, polyester glass boards, it'd probably been three times that many. So I guess my point is that we're not into talking it up, but we do believe that everybody should be doing their part to do whatever they can to try and make this world, you know, the way it is for longer. How much, um, how much market share have you guys penetrated? I mean, how many, how many boards are being made? Let's say there's a hundred boards being built this week. Just throwing out a round number. How many of those are being made with variable foam? Do you think? Do you? Yeah. I mean, we don't, discuss sales numbers specifically. Right. Um, I'd say that we haven't gotten to the, in business school, they talk about, you know, kind of the, have the early adopters, the early majority and the late majority and the late adopters. I'd say we're somewhere between, you know, the early adopters and early majority are kind of trying to cross that chasm, as they say. Um, and that's, that's our goal is really to get into the mainstream, right? really have uh, these things proliferate. So they're in the water Everybody so this is really a marketing equation at this point. You know, like we know the varial foam's killer. I've seen it. I, 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 I'm just in, I just love it because it feels like balsa wood to me. But, but I've never ridden it. I've never ordered a board. I would love to do that. I've, and it's, it's one of those things where it's like, why haven't I? You know, like I, I order way too many friggin' surfboards. And it's, and it's because it's not even like for whatever reason. And maybe it's just that I'm naive or I'm ignorant. But I'm not thinking, oh, you know what? Because whenever I see Parker, I'm like, shit, I need to get one of those. Why haven't I, you know, like I'm, I'm excited to do it. But when I order a board, I'm like, yeah, just make me a 6'2 or what, you know, what I, you know, it's, and I don't even think about it's maybe I'm going, okay, make it poly, make it EPS. How can we, Edison and Parker, ramp up the marketing so that we get to a place so that we, be, we move up to this tipping point? I think um, it's a lot more consumer education, just awareness of varial. You know, we've pretty much talked to, most shapers in Southern California on the East coast and even in Hawaii. Um, so shapers are aware of it and it's a question of, are they going to integrate this product into their offering? If, if a consumer walks in and says, Hey, I want a variable board. Oh yeah. I know who to call. Um, but is the shaper really offering it, making it part of their, their tech offering a premium upsell or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I think tunnel vision happens a lot. You go in and order a board and, you're just kind of thinking about what you want and the the new stuff, the add-ons, the extras really maybe aren't in the forefront of the shaper's mind to, to sell you on or offer it. And you're kind of in there thinking, you know, what do I want? So it's going to take uh, for us 
a lot more consumer education, making it available, making people aware of what it is and, and what it can do. Now, I saw that um, you have Shane Dorian as, as one of your team riders, and, and you have like five or six or maybe eight team riders. And when I saw it, from my marketing brain went, okay, we need to get rid of about th- – well, we need to keep – two, maybe three of these people. And the rest of them, I don't know. That's just me talking. And Dorian's one of the guys that we need to keep. And, mm-hmm. and Albie Layer is one of the guys we need to keep. Right. And there was another one, whoever's young. We need somebody young. We need a kid in there that's a red-hot ripper. Yeah, we have uh, Baron Mamiya oh, yes, Baron. and Nolan Raposa, too. Is Both ripping. those guys, yeah. yeah. I would say that's your team. In my, if, I, if you were like coming to me to consult, I'd go, everyone else is great, we love them, and we'll provide them with blanks, but... These are the people that are influencers that are going to move Scott to go order a Vario phone. Um, so Dorian's really great. I mean, like if I was in your marketing meeting, I'd be like, how do we get Shane and Albie to kind of be more um, proactive with how excited they are about the phone? And then even how do we get Carper then to do that as well, right? Because Carper's making his boards. Who's making Albie's boards? Uh, Dan Bainey. Oh, yeah, Infinity. Dan. Okay, yeah. he's great. So – are, are most of those boards varial boards that are coming – are most of Shane's boards varial boards? It's pretty mixed. Yeah. Um, we have a unique position with our team. It's you – know, we've linked up with these guys organically. They tried a varial phone blank and loved it and wanted to be able to ride it. Right. We don't have the big dollars, the big budget right. you know, that apparel companies do. So we can't come to the table with right. an exclusive endorsement contract for them. Right. But what we can offer is as many blanks as you want uh, to incorporate into your quiver, which also helps the shaper out on their cost to make boards. Um, these guys. What about back end points in the company? Yeah, um, you know, like well, so they're incentivized to just go. Not only do I love these boards, I've been riding for years, but now in the back of my mind, I've got even a really good reason to be like going, "Hey, this stuff, I love this stuff." I think some of the veterans get it, yeah. you know, the opportunity for equity in a company yeah. and to help it grow. Um, some of the younger guys, I don't think get it. They're kind of looking yeah. for quick money and, and yeah. checks. Yeah. Um, but it's been discussed and yeah. you know, these guys like Shane is so rad to work with. I he's mean, incredible. He likes it. He's wanted to help us. And just cause he believes in the tech and also John Carper signed off on it. Like this stuff is legit. I love it. Yeah. I'll make it for you. Yeah. I'll sell it. Yeah. Um, so it's all happened organically and, you know, we'd love to get these guys on exclusive. Um, yeah. and if it was an exclusive thing, you're right. We'd have to bring that team down and really focus on a few guys, but yeah. we can work with these guys and their shapers. It helps the shapers market to their customer. Um, you know, Robert surfboards and infinity and all those guys, you know, help market burial foam Yeah, and we can help bear some of the costs of building boards and get these you know guys out there on them. Um, what we can't, what's hard to compete on is the sheer volume of boards these guys get. Yeah. You know, it's through the roof. It's through the roof. How many boards do you think Baron Mamiya gets like for this season coming up in the North shore? Like, is it like 75 or a hundred boards? Oh, I'd say just for the winter season. No, it's, it's probably like 15 to 20. Um, in addition to the boards he has over there. Oh, 15 to 20 varials. No, no, just new yeah, boards. Just new boards. So, right. Four or and five who, would who's be burials. Baron's board? Is it Eric uh, Kawa or uh, like- Jason Bennett and Will down at Chemistry? Oh, Chemistry is making. Oh, yeah, cool. Chemistry. Oh, good. So, that's a great partnership we have with them. Yeah, those guys are great. You know, and, and there's things too like Baron just wants an eight foot gun 
it's probably better in PU because they can make it. Varial Foam would perform really well, but Barons will focus on Varial for his air game and making lightweight, strong boards for his oh, air game. So that's as far as Barons quiver, Varial takes that place of the. But, but the Shane's board. boards are Varial, and him he's making his nine foot guns, right? Well, he won the Billabong Double XL Award. On a, uh, on a stringless varial foam board. It actually was a two-piece board. I saw a picture of that. We had to make a precision jigsaw puzzle joint and join two pieces of foam so we could make Do you blow the foam? Or do you just buy the foam and then cut it? Uh, we can say that it's not molded. Okay. So um, it's it's not the same process okay. as making PU foam. There's okay. no, no, no molds. There's no mixture. Um, there's this, mixtures, just too much information. I'm, it, I don't want to, it's a gray anything. area, but, okay. uh, it's, it's moldless, but you know, we do foam it. And okay. So for Dorian's board, you, you, you cut some blanks together and glued them up so that you could get this thing going. Yeah. And he, I mean, he charged, he had such a good season on that and he's writing a stringless board out there. That seems like something that would, if I was in your marketing meeting, I'd be like, we need to, this needs to be louder and prouder, mm -hmm. you know? But I'm sure, look, I know you, I'm not telling you how to do your business. I know you're thinking the same way I am. I'm just, I like to think like I'm part of the team here and I'm just kind of having a riff with you guys, like a whiteboard meshing and we're throwing stuff on the walls and you're probably going, Scott, we already did that. <laughs> we're, we're with you. Yeah. That was two seasons ago and uh, we definitely marketed the crap out of it. And yeah. you know, that was our, do you have that board? No, um, I've we, mentioned we to, to Shane. <laughs> I've mentioned to Shane, and he's holding on to it. Well, that's he's like, look, too. this board has lasted me two seasons at Jaws, and we made him a few extra after he validated the first one. We went and made a ten six, a ten zero. He has a nine eight, a nine six, and a nine zero. So he's got a full Jaws quiver of only Vero foam boards. Really, and so. He's holding on to that that red one he won on. It's a magic board, he said. Yeah. So maybe we'll get it back one day, or but. maybe make a replica of it for for shows or something. You know? Yeah. Get them to sign it. And... Yeah. Um, it would be great if, obviously, if, if you guys could get a world champion under this foam, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, we've, we've what worked. About, go ahead. Well, we've worked on and off with guys on tour, Kyle yeah. Belly and Italo. Uh-huh. Um, through Timmy? Yeah, through Did Timmy. Italo, through Timmy Patterson. And then uh, Kyle through Xanadu. Uh-huh. And uh, those guys, you know, have had successful heats on varial foam and, you yeah. know, good North Shore seasons on them. Yeah. Um, you know, those caliber guys, it's They're about whipping the through boards. Well, it's about the dollars. Yeah. You, can, you can pay them too. Yeah, yeah, right. Other than getting a few in their quiver and them riding it. Yeah. Go full well, exclusive. It's funny you say that because when I said, what about a world champion? In the back of my head, I was going, maybe it's not a men's CT guy. Maybe it's a big wave world champion, a la Shane. Maybe it's a girl. Maybe it's a woman's WCT where the idea being we varial can wave that we've got a world champion flag without having to like dump a lot of dollars at it to get it to happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see a ton of value in the women's tour. We have uh, Leila Rica Buono who's up and coming from Oahu. She's ripping, doing so well. Um, we expect her to qualify and, you know, cool. potentially contend. This She's year? Qualifying this year? No, in a few years. Yeah. She's uh, fourteen or fifteen. Oh, okay, so, yeah. but she's dominating all her heats, and you know, it's kind of a, a farm team in a way. But she's hundred percent on varial foam, and you know, the women's game is elevating each year more and more. You know, they're making great money now too, which is awesome to see. Yeah, and so yeah, it'd be great to have a world champion one way or another.
Do you ever get um, calls from like Stab or Surfer or Tracks or everybody, all these media outlets nowadays are doing these like surfboard, I don't want to say competitions, but, you know, like Stab in the Dark. And do you ever get calls from them going, hey, we want to build some boards with your phone? Yeah, we, uh, we're talking to Stab right now. Um, we have a partnership we're announcing with Burton Snowboards, building a powder surfer. So we're talking to them about you know doing a project there. Um, we've participated in the surf lines. You know they do some surf guide or surfboard guide trips. Yeah, and we've participated in those. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're hoping to do something cool with Stab too. Yeah, yeah, that would be a cool thing if it if it was just. I don't even know. I'm just riffing. I'm just thinking like some sort of alternative board test or something. I don't. Know. Yeah, I think get all varial foam blanks in there. That's a bunch of different shapers. Yeah, and a no, you know, absolutely high name pro. And yeah, that could it. be a way better use of marketing dollars than throwing money at some kids hoping he wins an event. It'd be good perspective from the shapers too. You absolutely, know, shapers that have used it and shapers that are maybe new to it. Absolutely, um, like JS, I don't think has shaped one. Yeah, if he got his hands on one, it'd be great candid feedback. Yeah, know? that would be a cool thing to do. Totally. Tell me about these other products. You've got three products. One is the ferial foam that we've been talking about at length. It looks like you're going back to aluminum honeycomb, back where it all begins, like the Allman Brothers song. <laughs> Tell me about aluminum honeycomb as one of your um, sort of new cutting-edge technologies. Well, aluminum honeycomb right now is we still have worldwide patents on that technology, but right now we're not actively developing it for full commercialization, just kind of in the lab. Um, but what we're focused on right now is taking our advanced surfboard construction. We have varial foam core, and now we have this infused glass process, which we haven't really touched on. But okay, yeah, I don't please like to do. explain that. Yeah. So basically, after we did the foam core, like, okay, this is basically taking core materials and surfboards to that aerospace level, but the fiberglass <clears> skins <throat> are still... Made 1950s. Like they were, yeah, wet lamination, which the, the laminators who make surfboards professionally are incredibly talented. I mean, it's very impressive how consistent they can make boards. And, uh, but it's still a very old technology. You really don't see in any other industry, um, except if you're talking about really kind of low-end composites like fiberglass shells for whatever, ATMs. You don't see that wet layup process. So. We knew I mean, that. my ATM machine has a wet, has some <laughs> well, guy, just like the, <laughs> some salty guy with a twelve pack, and he's yeah, laughing. Well, basically, <laughs> they shoot it with a mold with a chopper gun and rollers and the whole deal. But but basically, you don't see advanced composites made with just wet resin being poured over it. You know, there's multiple reasons: worker safety, VOC emissions, yeah. you know, resin content. Basically, above a certain point, once you wet out the glass completely, the excess resin beyond that is just wasted mass. You yeah. don't need it; it doesn't do anything. We've shown this through mechanical testing, uh, but basically the concept is how we do this infused glass process is we have the shape blank, and then we put the, the laminates on it, the logos. We put any carbon features, the glass on the entire board dry. The fins, we put the fins in, everything. So it's all on there dry, but with no resin. Then we vacuum bag it with some special tricky materials, and then we basically pull vacuum on it. So once vacuum's on it, now you have the dry glass on the board core. And, and you're pulling got, it dry? You're yeah, pulling so, it we, dry? so we've got, now we pull vacuum no, on it. Oh, so that's where it gets wet. Yeah. So, or, or resin is introduced. Exactly. Right. So we basically have the board. It's got the dry fabric on it. 
We put it in a bag with some special materials, pull vacuum on it, get all the air out. Now we have 14 pounds of atmospheric pressure pushing on every square inch of it. So overall, tons of, of net force on it. That's all compacting the glass down. Then we shoot resin through the glass. So basically, you have the glass. It's all smashed down as tight as it could be, and you're just filling the voids between the fibers with resin. Wow. And, uh, and that's a totally closed mold process, which is cool for a couple reasons. One, with, when we do it with polyester resin, uh, you have very low VOC emissions. And uh, so we're actually talking about we can make polyester resin vacuum bag glassings. And we've done, you know, we've done well over 1,000 boards like that. And we can also do it with uh, epoxy. So the cool thing there is that when you do it with epoxy, it's closed from the environment. So you don't have issues with humidity affecting it. It's extremely consistent. And um, after we take that off, then we still hot coat the boards and we sand them just like a normal board. So when you just look at it, it looks like a normal surfboard. Uh, but when you pick it up, the weight difference is phenomenal. And now we can offer this not only on our varial foam cores, but also polyurethane cores. Uh, we've done one test on EPS, but resin ends up going into the bead cells. It would probably work well with the extruded mm -hmm. uh, polystyrene foam. But yeah. We think there's a ton of potential for this in the greater surfboard market, you know, that's revolves around those lower yeah. price, pri lower price blank options. Hmm. Um, so this sounds sort of like a semi-proprietary glassing technique. It's only done where you guys are. It's only done up at Vario in Santa Barbara. Correct. Right. Yeah. Well, we're uh, Vario's in Ventura. Ventura. So if I, I get a board shape down here, the blank has to go up there to get that technology, put the infused Correct. And like Parker said, we have a van that goes south every week. We run all right. down to San Diego and back up. It's a long day, but it's worth it. How much is it if I, I buy a board? So you basically it's a thousand bucks is what you said earlier, maybe nine hundred bucks for a custom so, yeah, custom so that's shaped board. Varial foam plus infused glass. So I buy a blank, it's two hundred bucks. My guy shapes it, hopefully he'll shape it for a hundred bucks, which he's worth more than that. But let's say it takes say it takes him an hour and a half. Now I'm in three hundred bucks. How much is the glass job? If I have a so that's one of the people. cool other cool things about this technology is that it's not that much more expensive than normal glassing because the way we do it, it's not nearly labor as intensive. labor intensive yeah. as a normal vacuum bag glassing. So basically a normal glassing from a, a standard high quality shop somewhere in the neighborhood, 190 to 200 bucks, including, you know, clear thruster uh, with three fins, sorry, clear thruster, like a stock weight glassing. Ours would be starts at 260. Right. So you're talking about, you know, 60 to $70 more. Okay. So now I'm in for um, 600 bucks. Does it concern you that you're taking the retail margin out of that number? Like in my opinion, your board should be 750 bucks. That 150, like, cause that's basically the 150 bucks that a retailer would get maybe at margin. Maybe I'm off a little bit percentage wise, but, but I'm all about raising the price point of mm -hmm. surfboards for the end consumer. Like I think surfboards are worth a thousand bucks especially one with varial foam that I know is going to last me. Now, a poly four ounce that's going to last for four months, if I'm like a young kid surfing in competition, okay, I get it. That's a $500 board. But guys like me, like um, coastal dwelling, educated homeowners in Southern California, I mean, if you own a home area, you've got a little bit of money, you know? Um, and I think that's where the dem – I think the demographic is pretty – the demographic of surfers, I think, is the guy that's like 25 to 55 – that's kind of got his act together and he's into a lot of things. My point is, I think the price point is okay for a varial foam board at 950 bucks. And I mentioned Javier's boards are strong as shit. They last forever. 
And those boards are at that price point. And I've often on this show give kudos to Firewire for keeping the price point of those Firewires at 750, 850 bucks. I'm going to suggest to you that that's something you should think about doing too, is like, let's not, again, I don't mean to be preachy here, but I like the idea of keeping that price point up there. Cause I think, especially with your guys' boards, which are going to last way longer, that's, that's a fair, that's a fair price. Yeah, fair I just want to clarify something. The prices we quoted you, those are the wholesale prices to the shaper. So typically you're not, you know, unless you're really into talking to industry people, you're not going to come to us and kind of coordinate the whole thing. You're just going to go to your shaper right. and say, can I get varial foam and infused glass with your shape? And so you're going to be paying most likely around 750 to 800. If you're talking about the premium brands, you know, like CI and loss, you're probably going to be up higher, closer to a thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, so, and, and we, part of our education to our shaper customers is that they shouldn't take a margin hit to build our board. They shouldn't just say, Hey, I'll, I'll do this feral foam blank and I'm not going to mark it up any. We encourage people to mark it up, yeah. make more money off of our board. We're providing you with these materials and an opportunity to offer a hand shaped custom made technology, you know, make 200 bucks. Don't, don't charge someone a hundred bucks to shape it, charge 200 and, yeah. you know, try and offer a different differentiated product that you can actually make more money on. Yeah. I think that there's, I think there's room for that. I think there's guys that will buy a Squire Fender Stratocaster from Mexico or Japan or whatever for 150 bucks. And then there's guys that w want an American made Strat, you know, and they're willing to pay for the American craftsmanship and for the, the quality. And frankly, maybe there's a, you know, some subconscious coolness to that too. Um, but I think, I think the market's moving in that direction. And I mean, you, you see high end polys on the racks here in San Diego for 1400 bucks, you know, especially the long boards are like 2,100 bucks. So I think there's room. Definitely. And I agree with you that the market should be less price sensitive than it is based on the demographic of people who serve, especially coastal Southern California. I mean, these are the same people who go up to the mountain mammoth in the winter and spend $3,000 in a weekend of snowboarding. But it's about, I think in our case, it's about helping educate the market that there's a lot of extra value in premium aerospace materials. It's a lot easier to see that value with custom resin art and getting a board that's hand shaped by a legendary shaper. I mean, that's easy to say, Oh, I should pay 2000 bucks for that board. Right. It's a harder, longer term play to say, you should pay that much because of the materials, the quality, strength, consistency, lightweight that's going into this. Is it possible to get use of SpaceX for marketing materials? <laughs> for marketing? Can you can you say I mean how far can you go? These this foam is made by a, a an engineer from SpaceX. That's true. Yeah, we I mean, would would Elon <laughs> send his lawyers after you? He's a rocket scientist. A living, breathing rocket scientist right here. There you go. Uh, See what I'm saying? <laughs> no, I think he, but, he looks like one. <laughs> well, we definitely have talked about that. And I, we actually, I asked the, the PR people at SpaceX how much we can talk about. They, they're very tight on what information gets out, especially any discussion of the technology in the rocket because of yeah. the ITAR, International Treaty of uh, Arms Regulation. So yeah, yeah. you just can't. Oh, think, ITAR. Yeah, ITAR. Oh, yeah, I know all about that. Basically, they don't want... <laughs> North Korea finding out how to make rockets on a podcast. You know? Oh my God. Uh, that would be really good for the, my numbers, my downloads. Yeah. <laughs> but I can say that I was an engineer at SpaceX and um, 
yeah, it's, it's a cool, fun fact. Okay, so Varial Foam is made by a former engineer at SpaceX. That is a correct statement. That's cool. And you can say that in your marketing if you wanted to? We can say Probably. that. Probably. Yeah, that's about it. I saw here on your website, Aluminum Honeycomb, Nomex Honeycomb. You want to go into that a little bit or? Um, I'd, I'd rather kind of talk about other applications for sure. our infused glass and varial foam okay. technology. Uh, the honeycomb, the cool thing about the honeycomb is it got us to where we are today. Um, it wasn't the perfect fit with the economics of the surf market, uh, but it validated that concept of a high modulus core in these materials in surfboards. But now that we've developed a technology that has a high modulus core and really consistent um, consistent, strong skins, fiberglass skins, we're able to export that now to other industries. And the latest example Parker touched on for a second is this partnership that we have with Burton Snowboards now. Cool. Um, so the backstory is that um, my wife's cousin works for them doing inside sales, and we were wrapping out at a family reunion just over a year ago. And um, he knows JG really well. And JG's the product design guru at Burton. He's been there for since the early 1980s, I think. And <clears throat> Um, he's a big surfer. He's from New Jersey. And so he's, his dream has always been to surf on snow. And he and Terry Hackinson really developed the style of powder boards where you stand farther back and have fishtails. Uh, but he's, it's almost like he has always been trying to surf on snow, but never quite gotten there. And he's been really into the concept of, uh, or the niche sport of powder surfing, which is no bindings, mm -hmm. just riding the board. Um, because you don't have bindings, you need other elements for control, a 3D base. And he'd been playing around with some snowboard constructions that had some of those features, but it just, it was much, it's always been much more difficult to powder surf without bindings than to actually, you know, go snowboarding with bindings. So we started working together and brainstorming. And uh, because our material is so strong and our construction is so strong, we have the ability to make a snowboard out of it and be able to ride down a mountain and hit rocks and tree roots and have the thing hold up amazingly well. So now that opens up the concept of making snowboards out, basically making them like surfboards, but making a snowboard. So we developed these powder surfers. They're called the, the resonators, the name of the model. And it drops on uh, January 3rd, 2019 coming up. Uh, limited, and these are bindingless? Bindingless. So it has mm -hmm. a series, of, an array of traction nubs on the deck, uh, but it's got a hard edge that comes up farther than it does on a surfboard. It comes up closer to your front foot and then transitions to a round edge. Mm -hmm. It's thin. It's only half an inch thick. So it flexes just like a snowboard. Um, crazy V-hole to it and channels, belly channels that run the length. Um, it's the same super sap epoxy resin we use in surfboards and fiberglass, just like surfboards, a slightly higher density version of varial foam. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it's built just like the surfboards we're making. And oh, the guys cool. in the Burton team and JG have just been tripping out on how it performs. How big is the market for bindingless snowboards? That yeah, seems so like right a pretty now, small little... It's actually powder surfing is becoming more and more popular in snowboarding. Uh, yeah. Jones Snowboards has one that's uh, on the market, and uh, there's Asmo out of Europe, and it's kind of a niche thing that's growing in popularity okay. really quickly. It's kind of like I would equate it to foil boarding and surfing. I see, right. That's so a niche, but it's really growing pretty quickly. Right. All the influencers are on it, and it's everyone's kind of raising their eyebrows looking at it. Yeah. Definitely. So, and, and those powder surfers, the resonator that we're making, those are going to retail for $1,200. So, you know, it's helping validate that price point. Hopefully people in the surf market, there's, I know there's a lot of crossover surfing and snowboard. Hopefully they look at that and say, wow, if, if Burton's embracing this product and selling it for 1200 bucks, that really kind of gives a lot of validity to what they're doing. Cool. What are some other um, applications that, that might make sense? 
So we uh, have partnered up with Hyperlite as well, and they make, uh, they're a big wake company, one of the biggest. And so we make wake surfers for them. We make them out of uh, varial foam, same density as our surfboards, and we use our infused glass process as well. And we've done quite a few of those. And the liveliness and um, just the speed you get behind the boat uh, is pretty, pretty remarkable and different than anything else on the market. So those have done well. Uh, we're also doing some surf stand-up paddle boards with Infinity. Um, am I forgetting anything else? Uh, Victoria Skimboards, prototyping a few there. Sorry, Victoria Skimboards, prototyping a few. Uh, reaching out to the kite market. So there's a lot of applications, oh, cool. especially when you think about waterboard sports. Right. We can take this high-end core and glassing and apply it to yeah. a lot of industries. Well, it, it feels like we've touched on a lot of stuff. I've always been um, – you know, one of the most intriguing things to me is every time I see your blanks, I'm 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 emotionally drawn to them. Like I'm, I'm like, wow, this is you know, like for whatever reason, this, if it's tactile or whatever, because it's new, I guess maybe. And uh, but I think there's some power in that too. Like somehow getting the blank in front of the consumer eyeballs, you know, which I know you you do. Yeah. But that's that's always been something internally. I've always like oh, I've. I want to go see these blanks. I want to go over here and look at these things. So, but um, it feels like we've talked about a lot. Have we have we missed anything? I'm excited for what you guys so. are doing, man. I appreciate. I've it. always been stoked on what you guys are doing, and and I'm stoked on a bunch of different levels. One, American Dream. Two, smart young guys trying to forge a way, their way through this thing, which is awesome. And um, two, I just think it's good for the surfboard market that we're trying new stuff. You know, like that. that it's it's important that we grow the pond a little bit technology wise, and um, I'm just I'm just jazzed. I can't wait to someday get a very old blank. Do you have any in the car? Because I'll buy one right now. Do you have any in the truck? Uh, they're we, all spoken for. They're all spoken for. We should have brought a couple extras down. Well, I'll, I can just go buy one somewhere, right? Or yeah, you, just where should I go? Just give us a call. We'll no, no, no. I want to. I want to pay full pop. But where would I go? Like right, like after you leave, if I'm like, I'm going to go order a varial blank. Where would I go to? Like Christensen's? Would I go? Where Where would you send me? Should I go to Chemistry? Yeah, I mean, I would say Xanadu Chemistry, um, Lost. We work with Album Matt Parker. Yeah, Timmy Patterson. Surf prescriptions. Yeah, surf prescriptions. He's been uh, with us from day one. So I could call any of these guys and go, hey, I want to order a board with the Varial. And they'll be like, no problem. Let's yep. do this. Yeah. Right on. There's a couple of shapers who haven't really latched on and, and offered it. Um, yeah. Doesn't mean they're not open to it. Yeah. But um, call any of those what guys. What about Stu Kenson? Have you talked to Stu at all? No, I haven't. Um, I've met him a couple times, uh, but we haven't gotten a blank in his hands. But that would be rad yeah that might be good um because he's pretty open to new stuff mm-hmm. i just ordered an eps board with him but but his whole thing is that he's got this really insane carbon thing with the vacuum bagging and it's super light and super strong and he's very open-minded yeah and we have a cnc machine so a lot of uh we deliver a lot of finished cuts to shapers too so if- right they send their file if, to you. Yeah, and you if Stu sent over a file, we could cut it and bring it down to him and right. shape it out for you. I think I think he would want to hand shape it just to see what it feels like. I think yeah. he does all hand shapes anyway. Pretty sure he's pretty. He doesn't do too many boards. Yeah, except for the JSs he does, right? I don't know if he does those anymore. He okay. might, but I know he used to. I don't think he's involved with that anymore. Mm. I might be wrong. But I get the feeling he's not. But anyway, there's, yeah. There's one more thing I wanted to touch on. Uh, so our all our materials are 100% American made, 
And uh, there's a lot of controversy right now about you know, import tariffs and overseas manufacturing, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, I, I don't think we see it so much as, as an ethical issue. Um, it's business. But what we're proud of is the fact that these are American materials, and this is American technology, and we're working with the best shapers in this country and other countries as well. But I just think it's beyond all that talk of tariffs and economics. It's I take tremendous pride in American engineering. I mean, we this country has some of the best engineers in the world, and you know the the infrastructure we have to foster development and technology is second to none. And I just think that we need to focus on making the best product in the world, something that nobody can make in any other country and bring here. Let's just make the best surfboards in the world with the best shapers and the best craftsmen, and let's put it out there and let the market decide. And so that's why we're stoked with all the shapers that we partner with, to give them a product that can compete directly at the price point of the imported boards that outperforms them bar none. And I think if we can do that and the shapers embrace it, they'll see that I don't have to, you know, fight and, and make a stink just to do what I've always been doing, you know, so I don't go out of business. Instead, I'm going to embrace the future and use it to outcompete these boards that are being brought from overseas because they don't have the materials and the American engineering that, that varial surf technology does. And I think we should all be proud of the boards that are made here. And, you know, I think we should buy American-made boards because of that, because we want these people to keep their jobs who have, who have taken a lifetime to develop these skills. You know, and, and Parker and I have been dedicating our lives to this ever since the beginning of college. You know, if you don't really place enough value on that, then you're discouraging American innovation. And I, I personally, that makes me sad. You know, I, I get so Dude, I'm excited. I'm for a Kleenex right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just get so excited. That's why it was so cool to work at SpaceX and just you know, just seeing the things that Boeing does and, and, and Tesla and, you know, this is the stuff that's defining the future of this world. Yeah. And that, that is not threatened by any overseas manufacturer because they can't keep pace with American engineering. And so I think that's the approach we need to take to, to support the U.S. industry. Dude, it's too bad election day was yesterday. I would have, yeah. I would have written you in somewhere. <laughs> no, I'm a, I agree with what you're saying. I'm a big fan. I'm looking forward to getting a, a variable blank soon. Well, it's on the top of my brain and getting, um, getting somebody to make it, probably Stu, maybe Timmy. I need to do it just because I need to know what's going on. You know, like it's a business move for me as much as anything. And then when I fall in love with it, then you'll have me hook, line, and sinker, you know? Okay. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for coming down. Appreciate it. Thank you. Until sir. next time. Thanks a lot.
Hey there, Boardroom Podcast listeners. If you like what you hear, please subscribe via iTunes. And I want to thank my friends who are donating to the Boardroom Podcast. You can join my friends that are helping us produce these Boardroom Podcasts. My friends are sending in small recurring donations of $5 per month, the price of a frothy cappuccino. If you are enjoying these podcasts, please consider helping us become a part of our friends group and donate today. Simply log on to PayPal and our donations email is dtl at downthelineradio.com. Again, that's dtl at downthelineradio.com. Thank you in advance.